Welcome to Language During Mealtime. Certified speech-language pathologist and children's book author Becca Eisenberg brings you creative professionals from the language learning and children's education field. With these ideas, parents can help their children with special needs improve language and reading abilities. Hi, my name is Becca Eisenberg. Welcome to my podcast, Language During Mealtime, episode number 86. Today, I'll be interviewing Kim Dwyer. Kim Dwyer has her PhD in clinical psychology. She practices in suburban Denver and is an author of three books. She is passionate about mindfulness and helping families use children's literature to connect with their kids. You could connect with Kim at drkimdwyer.com. Um, and the website will also be on my website. So you could connect with her that way as well as through uh, social media. So welcome, Kim. Thank you so much for being here. And I'm excited for you to talk about uh, your books. And most recently, uh, Kim published Mindful Mondays, Transforming, Transferring, Transforming <laughs> the Everyday to Claim Calm and Reduce Stress, which I think everyone needs. So <laughs> thank you. Hi, Becca. Thanks so much for, for having me here. And I'm excited to talk about these topics and should be a good conversation. Yeah. So I'm really, I was really interested in, um, well, in all your books, but most recently the books about mindfulness, the book about mm-hmm. mindfulness, because, you know, it's been such a stressful time. Um, and it's just, so I think just when you're a parent, it's especially, I don't know, I just feel like you know, with the pandemic and then going back to work and things being in person, out of person, having kids. um, It's been a really stressful time. And I think everyone is really familiar with the term mindfulness, but I think achieving mindfulness in such a busy, chaotic world Mm -hmm. is, I think, really hard, at least for me. Like I know mindfulness. I I do meditation, um, but sometimes when things just get so crazy, I sometimes forget and I have to slow myself down. Um, I don't know if anyone else feels like that, but that's how I feel. Um, so my first question was just if you could talk a little bit about your latest book uh, about mindfulness and you know and how you organize it as well. Sure. Sure. Yeah, and I totally like what you just said, like totally resonates with me personally, resonates with me professionally, like what I see in folks that I work with and and what I think we see a lot of going on in the world. The concept of mindfulness is, it's pretty simple. Like it, it's not, it's not rocket science, like bring yourself back to the present moment and as best as you can strip away judgment from your experience. So come back to now without judgment. However, I think the times when we need it the most um, are probably when we're in a state of nervous system arousal. And that's when it's probably the hardest to come back to right now. And I can talk more about that in a minute. But but yeah, I think I think you're absolutely onto that, that we could all um, use a little bit more of it. And that's what really inspired me to write Mindful Mondays. Um, the, uh, the biggest idea I think that runs through the book is let's reconnect in small ways to mindfulness all through the day. You know, if you go take a yoga class and get to like Zen out in Shavasana for 30, you know, 30 minutes afterwards, like that's lovely, right? You can sit on a meditation cushion and have, you know, 20 minutes of uninterrupted time to just reconnect. That's also great. 
but we don't live our lives like laying on yoga mats and sitting on meditation cushions. Most of us were the, the actual time when we need the mindfulness is when we're out there living and doing and interacting with other people and feeling our own emotions and feeling changes in our body um, and all of that. So I talk about a concept in the book um, that I call raindrop moments. Um, and raindrops, if you think about when it's raining out, they are very small, but there are many, many of them. If it's if it's you know a rainstorm, um, you know, when we like slip into a mindful state. If you want to use the analogy of it being like being bathed in water, like maybe you know that sitting on your cushion for twenty minutes and meditating um, is like slipping into a stream or a river and kind of hanging out there for a while. Um, when you're out there living your life and you're challenged by a strong emotion or a, a thought that you're noticing that you're getting pulled along you know, by the thought, you might not be able to say, okay, time out. I'm going to go sit on my cushion. I'm going to like reconnect with myself. And then I'm going to give you a response. And sometimes we do have the opportunity to take a time out, but a lot of times we don't. And I think the power of mindfulness is like, what's the raindrop right there? Can I do something very small to reconnect to my breath, to my body, to the present moment, to maybe peel off the expectation and judgment for how I'm supposed to respond in this moment and just experience this as it is right now. And when we can gather those little raindrop moments throughout the day, maybe it's when I drink my coffee, I really experience the warmth, the smell, the sensation of drinking my coffee. When I first step outside, maybe it's I just experience that full breath of fresh air, um, you know, hitting my lungs as I, you know, walk out to my car. All those tiny moments have power in them. And like, that's when we're actually living our life, right? So if we can bring our awareness back to those moments, it can be really, um, I kind of want to say healing. I don't know if healing is the right word for that, but it's, it's just really powerful to have that time to reconnect. So the book is full. There's an introduction that's kind of some background in mindfulness. And I talk a lot about um, our autonomic nervous system and fight or flight response. Because I, I think that's some of the power of mindfulness is we get out of that fight or flight response. So, you know, when we're anxious, um, anxiety, unless you're in a situation that's highly anxiety producing, a lot of our anxiety is anticipatory. I have to do this thing and now I'm worried about it. Or what if this goes wrong? Um, and those are all future things. And, you know, I understand why we do that. You know, and, and evolutionarily, we do that for safety. If I can predict and control all these things that are going to happen, I'll be okay is what our, our brain is basically saying. Um, but our brain is wired up for safety from a very primitive standpoint, from a, a life and death kind of situation. And, you know, thankfully, most of the things, you know, most of us are worried about are not life and death situations. They're, you know, getting somewhere on time or, you know, getting a work report in on time or, you know, is my child doing okay in school? And those are all important things, but a response that from the body standpoint is firing us up for life and death for, you know, for stay and fight or flee out of the situation to keep yourself safe. It's not helpful in those situations. And it actually creates changes in the body that over time are unhelpful to us, you know, physiologically. So understanding like what's going on in the body and then using mindfulness to recognize that response of the body and come back to right now and um, reconnect with, you know, the fact that we really are okay. Um, so the, there's some introductory material in the book. Um, and then it's basically presented in very short chapters with a strategy 
Um, and I go through the what, what, how is that? It's what, why, and how is how it's organized. So what is the strategy? Why is it important? Like some context for the psychology behind that. And how is basically, how do you do this? How do you use it? And then there's a little reflection um, area at the end of each um, each strategy to kind of reflect on what what did you try, what works. So it's you know it's some space for journaling, but it's not really intense journaling. It's more just like yeah, this was great, this worked for me. Here's what I want to try to do moving forward. Yeah, I th- I like the fact that there are short chapters and the and the time to reflect because I also think it's not the type of book where you sit and may read it all at once. You know, you just yeah. may read it over time. And I think that there are some days they can be maybe more mindful than others. Like I would think over the weekend, maybe, um, because you may have more time or maybe during the week. I mean, I know I had my mindful moment at the supermarket yesterday when I was by myself shopping and I was really happy because I was, by- <laughs> I was exactly able to that. slow down and actually really think about what I needed versus rushing. Um, yeah. And so Sometimes like, like, I like what you said in the beginning, how it doesn't always have to be sitting on a yoga mat, um, meditating all the time, right? It, it's right. kind of about, it could be anywhere. It could be at the supermarket. It could be sitting in your car for a couple of minutes just to, you know, take some deep breaths and, you know, kind of bring yourself back. I mean, I, I do that to myself sometimes. I'll have to remind myself that if I'm moving too fast, Mm-hmm. then, or I'm thinking too fast, I need to slow down a little bit. And I think as I've gotten older, I've like learned more about it. Um, but I think as parents, if we're just kind of, you know, we're very busy, we're running around, we're doing things, we're picking up or dropping off, um, taking a, a little bit of time just to um, slow down a little bit. And I, it kind of leads me into my next question is about the, the to-do list. Because mm-hmm. I'm a big advocate, or not advocate, I'm a big fan of to-do lists. I have to-do lists every day. And sometimes I'll put things on there that I probably think that um, I don't think, I'm not sure if I'm ever going to get that finished. Um, but I sometimes I'll put stuff on there that just simple things like, you know, pick up whatever, this food, or if I have to go to a pharmacy or whatever. So I was wondering if you could talk a couple minutes about um, intentional to-do lists. Sure, sure. Yeah. So kind of inferred this a little bit already, but like our our brain from a safety standpoint wants to predict and control, you know, what's coming next, you know, what risks are there in my environment? You know, what do I need to anticipate? Um, essentially so that we can start taking our brain down these different, like if this happens and I'll do this, like these different kind of contingency plans. Um, And that's not, it's not always helpful, but like, let's just also acknowledge, like there's a reason that there are, you know, human beings on the international space station. Like we're really good at thinking about different, um, different possibilities and probabilities being creative, like problem solving. So there's some really good aspects to that. Um, and the idea with being intentional with to, to-do lists is if you're going to plan and prioritize, then plan and prioritize. Give that your full attention and be mindful about how you do it as opposed to kind of being mindless about it. Like I'm going to plan and prioritize really more by worrying as opposed to really directing my attention to whatever those perceived problems are and, and putting some energy behind it. So, you know, I think worrying 
the way I conceptualize worry is it's our brain trying to problem solve without all the information. So when I get to a point, if I'm worrying, when I get to a point where I don't have the information, I think of, well, this could happen, that could happen, the other thing could happen. And then I'm down, you know, three different rabbit holes of possibility, right? And that's where then we, you know, rev ourselves up and our heart rate, you know, increases and like that whole fight or flight response starts, you know, starts to get triggered. And, and that's exhausting. It's really exhausting to hang out in that space for a long time. So if you're going, I think I have a chapter in there called, if you're going to worry, worry. <laughs> so if, and if you're going to worry and you put your attention and your intention into worrying, you're probably not worrying, you're problem solving. You know, you're thinking about what do I already know about the situation? What are the missing pieces of information? And can I get to a point where I say, all right, I don't know these things yet. When I know these things, then I can go further in my problem solving. Um, and in the meantime, I, I need to have faith in myself that when I have that information, I'll make a really the best choice that I can as that information presents itself. Um, and that can be a more productive you know, if we want to call it worrying, I would like to think about that when we move out of that anxious space into a more rational space, that's problem solving. Yeah, and I think that's really helpful because sometimes, you know, I think we try to like resolve things when we don't have all the information. We mm-hmm. just have like that, you know, kind of impulsive mm-hmm. anxiety. You're trying to make a decision based on having half the information. Right. Um, and I think that's also like just, not only like as an adult, but also teaching kids that we could be worried about something and not have all the answers. And we just have mm-hmm. to be uncomfortable in that space of not knowing, right? right. Because was, I think it, we're just so used to knowing and things being so quick and, you know, mm-hmm. you email, they email right back, you text, exactly. they text right back. And I think waiting has become much more challenging, um, I would say in the past like 10 years versus before when you know, that waiting was just part of what we did. But I think there's less waiting now or there's less Mm -hmm. ability. At least I find myself, um, Mm -hmm. you know, being sometimes uncomfortable without not knowing and not having having all the information. So I think that's really important. And I think with kids, we can really normalize. Like, you know, just as an example, it sounds like you don't know if you're going to be invited to, you know, Joey's birthday party and... Um, that doesn't feel good to not know. And I get that. And, and I understand how you feel. And I know whether or not you're invited to the birthday party, we'll work it out. We'll figure out what to do and, and what you want to do. And, and maybe we'll think about how to support you around friendships if that's important. But right now we can just be uncomfortable and still be okay. Like there's room for both. I can be uncomfortable um, about not knowing and I can still be okay and continue like living my life as best as I can in the moment. So, you know, we, we like validate that in kids recognize that we also can't solve the problem for them. Um, that not all problems have to be solved immediately and we can be okay in that, that kind of gray area until, you know, until things resolve. Um, and then you, you brought up the to-do list piece also. Um, and I wanted to make sure to respond to that. So, you know, I, I, I laugh about the to-do list because I, um, I don't do it as much anymore. Maybe that's sort of age-related. <laughs> Maybe I've just gotten better at being mindful. Um, but I would do the same thing. I used to like make lists with like everything under the sun, you know, probably way more on the list than what was 
rationally possible for most human beings. Um, and occasionally, and I'd write them for myself and occasionally my husband would find them and he would start like teasing me about my secret honeydew list. Like he had to do all this stuff on my list. I was like, I really didn't mean that for you. It was more for me, but it created a lot. And like, we laugh about it now, but at the time, like it created a lot of pressure for him. Like I had some expectation of, you know, he was spending his Saturday, you know, redoing my entire garden or something like that. Um, so I think like, there's nothing wrong, just like there's nothing wrong with worrying if it's problem solving. Um, there's nothing wrong with having a to-do list if we're intentional about it. You know, we really think through like, why are the things on the, this list important to me? Am I doing just to do? Because there's something about doing that make, you know, like fills me up and makes me feel like, okay, I must be you know, a good enough person if I'm doing all these things. Am I building a to-do list based on what I see other people doing? Or am I really checking in with myself and my values? What's really important to me? What's going to help me be who I need to be or who I want to be today? You know, is today a day when I need to like have a quiet morning and, you know, drink my coffee in silence and, you know, read a book or watch a TV show? Or is this a day when I need to get energized? I'm going to go to an exercise class or I'm going to go check in with a friend. Um, or is this a day where productivity feels really good and I'm going to get in front of my computer and, you know, work for a couple hours or, you know, we don't always have choices about that depending on how our days are structured, but sometimes we do. And we don't always check in with ourselves and just like honestly ask ourselves, what do I need today? Right. Exactly. I think that's important just to listen to your, like your gut Mm -hmm. feeling. Mm -hmm. And I know what you mean, because sometimes there are days that I just need to go for a long walk or a day that I need to really sit and write on my computer. So Mm -hmm. um, that kind of brings me to my next question about, um, the term too busy. Mm-hmm. And I really like that because um, I, I remember a friend telling me saying that I don't have enough time. I said, I don't have enough time. And he's like, you do have enough time. You just don't want to take the time to do this particular thing. That's all. And it always, and it always struck me as like, Oh, you know what? You're right. Like it's not about, it's about how we're spending our time. So I just like the, uh, the part in your book that you talked about the term too busy. Mm-hmm. So I was hoping you could talk about yeah. that for a couple of minutes. Yeah. And I, I think that dovetails with what we, we just talked about. The idea that you know, we all have the same amount of time um, and we all know people that are super, super productive and we probably know people and sometimes we are people that don't feel super productive <laughs> or feel like we're, you know, quote, wasting time. Um, and I think it's less about the time again, because we all have the same amount of time, but maybe how we're prioritizing time and how we're choosing to spend time. And um, the too busy part, I think that that sense of like, I'm just too busy, maybe that indicates we're spending more time than we'd like to on things that are not high value to us. Um, If I'm, you know, constantly running from one activity to another, I'm thinking like when my kids were younger, um, and doing like soccer and things like that, you know, we had nights where it felt like it was, you know, get, get the homework done, get the food in your body and now get to the soccer practice. And, you know, it's cold and there's complaining and, and not a lot of joy and not, and, you know, a lot of running across town and, and things like that. Um, and stepping back and recognizing like, there are a lot of areas in life where we have choice, not, not everything. And, you know, I'm, thinking like you could be in a job that you don't really love and recognize that like you need to stay in the job because it's putting food on the table for the family. And until you can find a different job, you might not have a hundred percent choice 
in that job situation. But there are lots of areas where we do have choice and in our involvement in activities, how our kids are involved in activities, um, our social connections we have choice about, um, our exposure to media we have choice about, um, the way we're engaging in media and how, how much time we're spending with media we have choice about. Um, and if there are things that really fill you up and bring you joy, you probably feel like you have enough time because <laughs> um, you're, you're, you're doing the things that are, that are aligning well with you. Um, and if you, know, you get to like, oh, I have this thing and I just don't have enough time to do it. Back to what you said earlier, Becca, like really asking yourself the question, is it that I don't have time to do it? Is it that I don't want to do it? Those are two very different things. If I don't want to do it, then why is it on my, my list of things to do? Do I have any choice in that? Did I sign up for something, I have some responsibility that like I need to remove myself from because it no longer fills me up? Um, if it's that I really do want to do it and I don't have time for it, like what are the things in my life maybe that are taking up that time that I can put more containment around? Yeah, I know. And it's if you're like a yes kind of person where you say yes to everything, then, mm -hmm. you know, you have trouble saying no. And I think that kind of leads to that conversation about learning to say no, um, mm -hmm. which leaves more time for things that you do enjoy. Um, and maybe that just comes for me. It's just come with age over time. I've realized kind of what brings me joy, what doesn't. Um, and but I think as parents, we're also models for our kids. Mm -hmm that, you know, we have to look at how kids view us. And if we're just kind of running around and not, I think, prioritizing what's the most important thing, I guess, for as a family, right? Um, then I don't know. I think sometimes I don't realize, you know, how much we are models for our kids. Mm -hmm. So I think about that a lot too, like, you know, just emphasizing what's important. Um, and maybe one thing is important to me, but not important to somebody else. So I think it's each to each and every um, yeah. family member is the, you know, but you're right. What you're saying, there are a lot of choices that we make. There's not, there are things that we have to do, but there's also things that we could choose to do to make things more mindful or even taking those busy times and being more mindful. Like, for parents who drive a lot. I'm one of them where I'm always at the gas station. <laughs> mm -hmm. But even taking that time in the car and listening to a podcast or listening to relaxing music or, you know, like if you're going to eat, stopping and just enjoying the lunch. Um, exactly. And that could, to me, it just makes a big difference. But we have to practice these things mm -hmm. to, um, to get the experience of it. So Absolutely. Um, so my last question is, is about your children's book, Rocky's sure. Christmas Journey. So I was hoping you could talk for, um, a couple minutes about that when you sure. published it. Um, and just a little bit about, about the book. Sure. So Rocky's Christmas Journey is the imagined story of the real owl that was found in the 2020 Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. So, there was a new story that came out uh, toward, close to this time last year, like towards the end of November, beginning of December, um, about the Rockefeller Center tree. And one of the um, workers or decorators found this, um, they thought it was a baby owl. They found this little tiny owl in the tree. It was actually a full-grown adult saw-wet owl. Um, and they're just a really small species of owl. They're like two to four at the most ounces. So they're really tiny owls. Um, 
the tr- the story that I gleaned from the news reports is that they found the owl, got it to like a wildlife rehab center where they, you know, made sure he was healthy, fed him, uh, got him nourished and released him into the wild. Um, so I read that story and just immediately got this inspiration that like this needs to be a children's book. And in thinking about the themes of being dislocated, <laughs> transition, stress, like really timely with just life in general, right? Life is a series of transitions, I think, especially for children. Um, and then super timely with pandemic and changes and you know, everything that you know we've been going through not just as a country, but like as a world for the last couple of years. So the story was born from that. Um, kind of in like a burst of inspiration, wrote it relatively quickly, worked with a wonderful illustrator um, who really brought the illustrations and the story to life um, really whimsically. I love, I love the way she illustrated it. So the story is that baby owl has to uh, find his own nest. So he starts off baby owl with mom and dad owl, um, goes off to find his nest, finds the perfect tree. So he thinks, um, goes and takes a nice little nap in his new nest. And uh, saw wet owls are called saw wet owls because their call supposedly sounds like a saw on a wedding stone. So I actually don't know what their call sounds like. I haven't actually heard that, but it's described as sounding like a saw on a wedding stone. So that's kind of the mechanism that makes the story work. So the the lumberjacks or the tree cutters or whatever they are show up to cut down this great big Christmas tree to bring it to Rockefeller Center and they go sharpen their saws and the little owl hears all the commotion, wakes up, wonders what's going on, hears the saws on the wedding stone and just thinks, oh, it's just silly owls that are up during the day and he goes back to sleep, wakes up next and he's in the middle of Manhattan, you know, looking over the skating rink with uh, tree lights everywhere instead of stars and great big buildings instead of trees, you know, just kind of wondering where he is. So as the story progresses, his name changes from he's baby owl, then he's brave owl going out into the world. And then he's tiny owl because he's so little in this great big city, not knowing how he even got there. Um, and then he's given the name of Rockefeller by the person who finds it which feels like overwhelming to him. And then he's given the nickname Rocky, which seems like a good fit for him. So there's themes of transition, of kind of finding who you are as you move through the world. Um, Lots of like emotional changes um, that we can relate to, Um, but all very simply through not a whole lot of words and a, a lot of pictures. So that's the story. And one reason, um, that I think it's, it's really useful for families is, I think all stories um, from picture books to like young adult novels, like there's rich opportunity for conversation with kids and young adults um, through, you know, through sharing literature together. Um, So using story as like a springboard for conversation about, um, about emotions, about feelings, vocabulary, like giving kids the words to articulate how they're feeling, giving kids the opportunity to develop empathy how how might this little owl feel that suddenly he's far away from his forest and he's in this new place? Um, gives them an opportunity to learn about perspective taking. Um, and the idea that, you know, one person's feelings might be different than another person's feelings in the same situation. One kid might be super excited to go to kindergarten. Another kid might be absolutely terrified. And there's room for both of that. So I include in the book, there's a kind of like the story behind the story. So the true story of Rocky 
Um, and then there's a caregiver's guide to discussing the story with kids. So there's questions to prompt conversation about feelings, about perspective taking and empathy, um, kind of critical thinking, like, you know, what could you do if you found a wild animal, you know, in, you know, somewhere where they don't belong and they need some help. Um, there's questions to develop literacy skills. You know, we can talk to kids about like the simplest thing I think is before turning a page saying to a child, what do you think is going to happen next? You know, we get them thinking about prediction and, mm-hmm. and, you know, using inference and subtlety that's, that's in the book. We get them looking at subtle details in the pictures to start thinking about the story in different ways or looking at, uh, you know, basically body language, but in picture form, um, that helps us to understand emotions. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of like the, some of the ways I think that that story can be used. That sounds great. And so are you going to, are you planning on any readings? Cause now would be a great time to, to read yes. the book with the holidays coming. Yeah. So here in, I'm in Denver area. So we have, um, one scheduled December 4th at a Barnes and Noble in Denver and we're working on some different engagements. <clears throat> And then we'll be doing, um, so I've kind of linked up with a group called, um, it's called the Discovery Coalition. um, And they are doing like a Santa story. So they'll be doing a reading. Um, They're going to time the reading for Rocky um, with the tree lighting at Rockefeller Center, which is December 1st. Um, So I should have some more details that I can send over to you about that. Um, And then I'm going to be doing, I haven't, Uh, this is on my agenda for the weekend. (laughs) I'm going to just be recording a reading and then we're going to do something with matching up with the photos and get like a video put together that, you know, we'll probably post on the website or share in different ways for people to be able to, you know, to enjoy it from home. That's great. Well, thank you so much for today. Is there anything else you want to add before we finish up? Not just that. I'm excited to talk about these topics and happy to connect with folks. Um, My website that you mentioned is drkimdwyer.com. Uh, I've got pages for the different books that I've written um, in there. And then there's some additional activities like on the Mindful Mondays webpage, there's a link for a free, uh, very short breath awareness meditation that you can listen to. Um, On the Rockies Christmas Journey um, page, there's a coloring sheet, kind of like a simplified version of the cover of the book that kids can download. Um, We've got some other activity pages and stuff that we're going to be sharing for readers. Uh, So people are certainly welcome to connect that way. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks thank for you. thanks for chatting with me. It was great. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening today. Listen and learn with us at Language During Mealtime. 